Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello, and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So you're sitting in that room there and he, you know, we can kind of fast forward. You, you gave your, your, your answer, but you basically go to Harvard business school for like the next, you know, this is 77. We'll say you probably go there to like um, 85. Like you're, you're, you go to school there for a good amount of time. How, what is Harvard like for you when you're going to school? Do you still have that attitude that you have in Catholic school or are you starting to mature, starting to like kind of find your demeanor that you, that you, that you currently have now? Like what, what, what's the whole experience like for you? So he still kind of has those antisocial tendencies. He's gotten a little bit better at playing the game though. So he's like a little bit better at like faking friendships, like faking relationships even. And, um, he still is like a very troubled and angry person. He probably has this secret life where he's into maybe like BDSM or, or something that's kind of like a fringe sexuality type thing. And that's just like his secret life that he like, you know, nobody in his family, nobody that he associates with in college. Like, How, how does he satisfy that? Is, and, and not to get like whatever, but is, is it with men or women or is it just with just women or like, like what, like, does he have a sexual preference or is he just kind of like, as long as he gets pain, it brings him pleasure or is it like, yeah. What? Like when it comes to like that, uh, probably doesn't have like a, a preference really. Okay. So um, he only ever has like, uh, like female girlfriends and stuff like that. You know what okay. I mean? He's like, he's, he's very much like into girls, yeah. but like this secret side of himself knows no like you know yeah exactly now how would he meet people like this would he go to like boston the city and go pay people to do this or would he like meet people i would assume i mean i'm it's not a lifestyle choice that i i've lived before but i would assume in especially in the 80s it'd be hard to find people like this so did he find having to professionally take advantage of people's services or did he get to know some people who would i mean he probably just like somehow just got involved with like like BDSM circle or whatever. Yeah. Just like so the some kind of network, you know, like some kind in the underground. Yeah. Like, All right. and um, that's just kind of like a secret life that he lives, but also that's like something that keeps him like relatively normal in like society, I guess. Like keeps he him uses, yeah, he uses that as his outlet. He's able to like somehow just like fake having like a normal life when he does that. So he finds it easier to just like secretly give into it than to just like not have any outlet for that part of his thing at all, because that's where he was being like more destructive as like, you know, lashing out more. So he sees it as like, well, if I can engage in it on this level, privately, secretly, of course, 
He he would never want anybody to find out. Did but anyone like, ever find out in Harvard? That's a good question, actually. Yeah. But I mean, if they did, it would probably be like life shattering for him. Like he yeah, would like he maybe would go through to hide great it. lengths to yeah. make something like that go away. Um, you but know, how does he feel about it? Like, is his Catholicism as strong then as it is currently with this character? Did he? Is this where he started to use his Catholicism to like kind of? explain away what he's doing you know like like he does with the necromancy i think this is like kind of true for like a lot of like italian american people like he's catholic and like it's a thing it's a tradition that he follows mm. that he obviously claims to adhere to well it's not like a um, southern baptist like you know like yeah he's tongues. not fanatical like, he sees it, yeah he see he like even he sees it as more of just like an allegory or something like uh, that like he's into like philosophy and stuff that's his tradition as Catholic. Like he mm. would never claim otherwise. You know what I mean? Then like he'll, he's firm on that. Absolutely. Did he join a fraternity? No, no. So he kind of was just riding solo. Was he, so, but he was, you were kind of well-known, right? Like you did good in your class. Did you do good in your classes during all this? Did you stay focused? Yeah. I mean, he, he did pretty good. He was, he wasn't like, um, he wasn't like beyond exceptional or anything like that, but yeah, he, he did well enough. Definitely. I would say that during this time too, like when you you probably lived on. Did you live on campus or did you still stay at the house? He he lived on campus. You probably uh, had your own apartment or probably had a car even at times too. As the, you know, as you got older, right? Went for your masters or whatever. Yeah, probably, and probably not even a bad car because um, I mean, he was kind of used to living this like life yeah. of luxury and stuff like that. Probably, had a and Mercedes. even though he lived away from the from the house, mm-hmm. he still just felt like he could never really like get away from that, especially when he was going through college, you know, he felt like a closer tie to, um, to his uncles because he kind of felt like he was following Silvano's plan. So far it's working out. He needs to stay close to, to family. Yeah. And you would even, I would say during this time, you even started learning more about the larger family. I would say like you even started, this is the time when Silvano would bring you to like night parties or, you know what I mean? Like, like, dinner parties or even without Savano, you know, you start with, you started learning that, Oh, my family, my mom's family, the Giovanni, they have a huge fucking presence in the East coast. You know, you realize that there's this proud stored history of being Venetian bankers in their past, you know, and that you guys are like, and, and, and you're, you have blood in the ground here in the roots of this city and roots of this area. Not, we're not talking literally, you know, but we're talking about just mortals un- not understanding the larger concept. And you start realizing, you start, I would say even like half outings at lunch, you know, with people who were Giovanni or who were like friends of the Giovanni. You started meeting Milners, you know, you started like meeting Dunsterns. I mean, not that you knew like, oh, there's some secret vampire thing, but you just started like this network of individuals. You felt like you were getting into a network, a good old, old, I would say good old boys club, but also good old girls club. You just felt like you were a part of the mover and shakers now, you know I mean? These are the people you, of course, didn't understand this large global thing. Now you thought your uh, uncle Savannah was a part of this family as you were a part of this family. And you obviously had ties with it, but you felt like you were getting in, getting on the end. You were getting on there. Of course, there's other people other than Giovanni Milner's dunsters that you met or whatever, but you just felt like, Oh, this is the life, you know? And, and I, I, let me ask you this. How did this make you feel when it came to regards of your mother? Because your mother was running from this and now you're looking and you're like, man, I got a new car. I'm like drinking, like champagne or 
you know, in the morning while I'm on a golf course, looking at a golf course, having breakfast with my sweater over my shoulders, you know, like a yuppie. Yeah. How does that make you feel about your mom wanting to run away from this? Does it confuse you? How does it make you feel? It's a very tough thing for him to reconcile because on one hand, he's starting to get old enough to where he can kind of like face those feelings that he's, he's feeling about his mother, where as before in adolescence, he just had different ways of dealing with it. Now he's becoming an adult and he's trying to face the actual problems that he has and stuff, or at least heading towards that direction. But he loves this world that he's been introduced to. And like, he finally feels some kinship when he meets other members of the family, he meets the other families. He feels like he is on the right path. He feels like he's on the path to success when he like kind of just sees that I come from like a long line of movers and shakers. My uncle is setting me up to do the same thing. This is actually a pretty great thing, you know? So I should try to figure out how to calm myself, deal with these problems that I have, and just get fully on board with this. But he still has those problems. He still, you know, obviously has to think about his mom because, you know, even if he tries to like repress that, he probably dreams about that one experience, you know, that night at the hotel. And he probably just, yeah, exactly. It's just like a, probably like a nightmare that he still has. And just the type of stuff that he's doing in private, he's certainly not happy with. So like, okay, I got to figure out what's going on with myself. uh, And I got to just get on board with my uncle's thing here. This is it. Yeah. And I would say even like you were really, you're the, the amount that you talked to your uncle during your eight years of college is even maybe less than before. You know what I mean? Like, cause you're so busy networking yourself and doing all this stuff. Now you graduate college and the year that you graduate and you get your, your BA, you are told by your uncle one evening, he actually goes by your apartment and you guys stand outside on the balcony of this pretty nice apartment you have in Boston. And he's telling you that you both are staring out at the city. It's about summertime. And he looked he, and he's holding on the handrail. He's actually wearing a suit, though. This is actually you, you notice that your uncle's clothing seems to adapt to whatever age that you're in, Sal that you're in. So he's kind of wearing like a somewhat of a power suit. That's kind of, you know, you know, it's tailored. And he has like a navy blue power suit on with this red like tie that has like some like white stripes that go across it. And he has like this sky blue shirt underneath it, you know. But you notice he never seems to like look older. He always has the same distinct like gray hair, you know, that like that, that silver fox hair. And you see that he's looking out at the city and he turns and he looks at you. And you get this vibe from him that like he is happy, but in a not in a like, oh, I'm happy, like my nephew is being successful, but I'm happy because I got a new car. You know, like it's more of a materialistic, like, you know, like thing. Like you're an object. You just get the sense because you're very, like I said, you, you got foreign perception and you, you, you kind of get a sense that he's not like connecting to you on a, but this is not new. He's never connected to you on a human level, on a fucking relationship level. And he's like, because you did so well, I'm going to have you work for a company that the family has. We have many companies around the area. I'm going to have you work for one called Colburn Trust Company. You're going to be a manager and the acquisitions department. 
And he looks at you for a second. He's looking for like any kind of reaction. Marco is just kind of like totally dumbfounded. If he's holding, I'd like to think he's holding something. Like a maybe drink? He's, a yeah, scotch. maybe. Yeah, and he just kind of just like just totally spills it. And like his eyes are just like wide, like in disbelief, just like. And you see, is he being serious right now? Is he messing with me? Like how times out of character times a fucking flat circle, dude, because right now he looks down at the drink you spilled and it flashes back. You have a second of flashing back when you pissed yourself in that hotel room and you see his like oh, that, that the tremors in his jaw starts locking. You see him like shake for a little bit and he looks and then he and he like breathes out like forces himself to breathe out and then he looks at you and you see this intensity in his fucking eyes and as a kid like i would always like kind of hide behind the couch when i saw him do that or kind of like take cover behind like a door or wall and just kind of like peek out yeah and just like until he came to because it scared me every time every single time and even now it's like i I never even think to ask him what's wrong or anything because it just freezes me in my tracks every single time to this day. You see like straightens himself out and he's like, yes, or why would I tell you if I wasn't? You are. You're part of the family. This is what comes with being part of the family. Your mother, she never understood that. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to go into that job and you're going to take everything that we have given you and you're going to go use it to help better the family. You are your own man now. I'm still your uncle, but it's on you to carve your own path for the family. Don't let me down. There's more than you at stake. Remember that. Anything else you forget, remember it is the family first. Always the family first. You should be disappointed in your mother because your mother did not want the family to be first. She wanted herself to be first. Everything that you have seen, all the people you have met, all the influence you have tasted, it's because of the family, because of people like me and others who have put the family first. You give back what you take. Do you understand? Yes, uncle. Family first. I promise I won't let you down. Good. And he straightens his tie and he turns around. He just walks out. He doesn't say bye. I love you. You know what I mean? He just walks out the door. So we get I back. hit the wall after he leaves because I'm just, oh, you like I'm just so pissed about what he said about my mother and stuff. Oh, but I never show this anger to him, obviously. So you I like just never. punch this wall on the outside yeah. of the, your but I'll studio. curse him when he leaves. I'll oh. do whatever, but obviously never disrespect him to his face. Can I ask you something when you do the, the S and M shit? Like, is it you being the victim or are you putting it out on people? Both. Oh, okay. So, all right, definitely. God dang, this is a scary guy. Shit, dude. Because I like, I kind of feel bad for your character, but I see what your character is becoming. And I'm like, oh my god, you know, like product of the environment, right? Uh, so <laughs> we're gonna fast forward to a couple of years, two or three years. We'll say that conversation happened like in '84, '85, something like that. So for the next two years, three years, you're working on in Colburn Trust. Colburn Trust is a company that's in Boston. It's a rather large financial investing company, and you're part of that. You're the manager of the acquisitions. Now, of course, you find out once you get in there that there's a handful of people in key strategic areas who are part of the family or they're associates of the family, people who are part of this influential network that you have met. If it's not people with the last name of Giovanni, it's people with the last name of Dunstan. You find that there's a lot of Scottish people, which is kind of odd, or people who are Scottish American, second generation Scottish American. Not all of them walk around, you know, with a Scottish accent. And you kind of find also that throughout these couple of years that you guys have 
weird sway and political opportunities. You, your company or people in your company are kind of like stomp, stomp, wink, wink to given, be told to contribute to specific campaigns. Now, not all campaigns are going to be with people with the last name Milner, but they're going to be people who are probably influenced by those with the last name of Milner, you know, political allies, political advisors, you know, just to strategically place themselves. So let's say that goes on for a couple of years. There's one night while you're in your office. We'll say that this is a pretty nice fucking office that you have in here. You know, your typical power 80s office, big window that faces out to the city, big power desk, big phone, bookshelves with books because you are a reader, avid reader with what you're reading. You have your own secretary and you're in there at night and you're working and you kind of are starting to piece together because you're not like the head of the company, but you know, family is head of the company and you're kind of realizing that there is a clamoring going on you realize that your company has actively for about the last six months to a year taken an interest in companies that reside in the twin cities of Minnesota, which is Minneapolis and St. Paul. Now you're not familiar with this area to you. You're like, what the, like you have no idea what's up there, but you start doing research and you, along with others in the company, you start realizing that there are a lot of fortune 500 companies that are starting up there. Like companies that are like legit that are starting up there. It's almost like this, like best kept secret of innovation of, of new companies out of character. Like really there are a lot of fortune 500 companies that are based out of like Minneapolis. And you start finding that you are actively doing acquisitions of, of small companies there or, uh, and you're, and you're starting to be like, man, this is weird because like you would think the East coast, New York, or maybe even California at the time, Silicon Valley was starting to like rise up a little bit, but you wouldn't think of the area that, that, that the company is actively participating in. Well, there's one night that you go use the bathroom. You have a bathroom in your office and you open the door and you, you, know, like you just wash your hands and you look and you see your uncle sitting there and the chair that is across from your desk. And he's just looking at you. He's like, sit down. Uncle. And I just like go over to like the nearest seat and I'm just like drying my hands off on my pants. And I sit down. What is it? When did you just get here? Listen. And he t- has a suit on this one's a charcoal gray suit that has a white shirt underneath it just like a normal black tie he like reaches into the inside of his jacket he only has the top button button you know but the suit jacket and he reaches into the inside pocket and he pulls out and there's this yellow piece of paper that's folded and he like hands you the yellow piece of paper it's like it's like ripped from a yellow sheet you know and been folded it's like rectangle shape and he hands it to you what is this it's a name and a phone number of someone you're going to call you're going to work with that person and you're going to accomplish what needs to get done. This is for the family. You understand? Yeah, I understand, Uncle. What's with the envelope? Why don't you just call that person? What's with the secrets? Because, listen, when you have become as powerful as our family has, and you have seen it, when we have gained so much, there are people who are constantly hounding after us and want what we have. And the best way to prevent that is to never fully show what we are capable of or what we have. We do not want to throw blood in the water and have these sharks come after us. That name and that phone number is someone you're going to call. You're going to help them with the task. You're going to use your resources that you have. And he looks around the office in this company. But you are not going to tell anyone what you are doing. Some in this company may know. Some others may not. Those who know will know. It is not on you to tell them. If you are successful here, and I want you to hear me, Marco. If you are successful here, you will be rewarded beyond any imagination that you have. What you will be rewarded with will make all this look like ash. Do you understand? Yes, uncle. If you are successful, I will know. Others will know. 
do not come seeking your gift and your prize. It will come to you when it's meant to come to you. If you are successful, do not mention what you have done afterwards. This is for the family. And if you fail, Marco, and there's a moment where you see him, his face tenses up again. If you fail, you will be punished. So look at it like this. And you see his hand come out, his left hand. One hand holds the reward. The other hand holds the punishment. It is your choice which one you get. No problem, uncle. I'm on it right now. No problem, indeed. You see him get up and he just turns around and walks off. So on this name, I see the paper that you see. You see the name William Strother written on it. And you see a telephone number. And on and what happens pretty much in the, I'd say next like six months, is that you find yourself working with the, and you're never quite sure who's all working with it. And you're not even quite sure how much this William guy knows. You never even tell, you, you play your cards. It's a really awkward conversation. Because what, what, what basically ensues is that there's this hostile takeover of a company called Madrid Imports that is happening at this moment. This is like 88. And what is happening is the fact that you'll call him. And oftentimes when you call this guy, you can tell that he's like in the middle of like, you know, okay, okay, I got to do this. And like, you're maybe one of like a hundred people he's calling, but then you start calling other people. And you know, there's like this chain of phone tag that's occurring with like, who knows how many individuals, you know, that you're like, okay, I got this. And I got the, and it's like watching like the stock tickers, you know what I mean? Calling like people, getting all this done. You have late nights, you know, like nights where you're like living in your office pretty much. You're like falling asleep on your desk or, you know, just these intense, you don't even have time to sit there and be like, think. And it's like that for maybe, I want to say like, I know, maybe at that point, like a month or two or like really fucking intense, really intense. And you have no idea. You're like, what is about this company? And then you start like seeing like this weird, like, okay, I'm working with this Brentwood Industries company. That's who this William guy is part of. And then you start realizing that like, what is with this Madrid imports? They're from like Portugal, Spain, what? And then you start seeing like, where's all this capital they have? And it's like this really intense intense like trade almost like a hostile takeover trade war like and 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 then there just comes a moment where it's done and you start realizing it like takes a couple days to realize where you're like you come into you're like oh wait i can go home it's like 10 30 at night shit i'll get to sleep in my bed and then like you come in the next day at 8 a.m and you're like there's no messages and then you start like huh and then you just start piecing together like it's done and there's a moment where you're like i don't know how do you feel once it's done how do you feel once this is all done and you kind of realize it it's just kind of confusing to Marco. It's like it's like the last day of school, but it like hasn't set in because he was just working working so frantically, just not even sure why, really, just because he's his uncle scares the shit out of him, but also like you know promises quite a bit if he can if he can pull through. It's like it seemed pretty serious, and also just kind of afraid of what would happen if he didn't. So. He's just been working like a madman, and when it stops, he's just he's just not really sure how to feel. It's like a surreal moment for him, and he probably just like sits in his office. You know, it's clean from all the clutter of before. His chair's pushed in. His jacket hangs on the back of it. No longer are there papers strewn about. He's just kind of looking out the glass window of where his office connects to the the main office building and just kind of looking through and seeing people going about their day. And he's just done. Yeah, it's over, right? It's just like you're sitting there and the next three or four months, 
just kind of goes by. You don't see Uncle Silvano. Your life continues how it was before. You get in the same routine. And then one evening, you hear just by happenstance from a cousin that there is going to be a family gathering. Right, oh, okay. And the last family gathering you probably went to was like five years ago. They're not like huge occurrences, you know? Like It's not like Thanksgiving, every Giovanni in town gets together or whatever. But you know that there is an estate that's been in the family's name for like as long as people can remember on the outskirts of Boston and Massachusetts. It's kind of like in the nice area where there's seclusion, where the elite have always stayed, where the privileged have always lived. And you've been out there a couple of times, but you know, this one's going to be big because you know, like these are the big ones. These are the ones where it like goes into the day, into the night. And it's kind of cool because you can drink, you can meet with your family. You can meet that you have traded in when you're at Harvard and you're talking to these people. That's when you start, you know, like those times you start seeing like the influence and the pull that this family has. You're like, Oh, okay. There's another one. And eventually in the mail, you get like the invitation that you'd get for it. And you're like, Oh, you know, how do you feel about that? When you get the invitation, basically just excited kind of just looking forward to progressing his status with the family because he thinks that like this is where his success lies. It's just sticking with Uncle Silvano, you know, sticking with family-oriented stuff. They're tapped into the real power financially. They have control over, you know, so much. Like this is what I need to get in on. And it's, it's, he almost feels like it's this weird, like, birthright that he has. It's like a thing that he's, like, very proud of. Like, it's like something that he's been granted that not everybody has. It's yeah, not yeah. like an opportunity that you earn. It's just like a thing that, like, he might have been born into. And it's like a, a big and beautiful thing. And he's just like, yeah. And still trying to reconcile that with all the stuff about his mother. He basically accepts his uncle hates his mother and like, he'll go along with that in the presence of his uncle, Mm. but he still feels for her. He still feels the pain of that, but it's something he just kind of pushes to the side to, to try to keep going with the family. So you show up around noon to this huge estate with these lush green grounds around it. This makes uncle Savano's, place look minuscule there's just hundreds of people who are already here it has a huge drive up area where like you know the classic circular ones where you drive and valet would come and take your car and drive off there's like fountains with these huge lush bushes that surround it like you can trees in the front so when you're driving along the road to it you can't see within until you get to the gate and the gate is this huge cast iron monstrosity with like this old english g that's just like in the middle but it's like split you know by the gate so when it opens the g comes apart and you drive up there and the gate's already open and you can like see the pebbles that lead in there because it doesn't have asphalt it's just like pebbles compressed pebbles that come forward and rocks and as your car turns off the paved road in there you can hear the crunching a little bit as it goes on there and you what you see before you just through the window windshield of your car you see that this estate and you can't even get the whole view in it. You're kind of like craning your neck to the left over your steering wheel. So you can see all the way to the left of it and you can't quite make out everything. You see this huge fountain and you see that there's like balloons that are kind of like off the fountain, but they're not like tacky looking balloons They're helium, but they're tied and they just kind of have this lightweightness to them. You know, they kind of make it look more bright and the water look more lively. And you see that, that there is 
people on the side of the homes. You see servants that are in the front that are walking along and you can tell like the life of this gathering is in the back. But you see children like running around in the front still, kind of like getting away from the parents. So you see like cousins that are together. You see some kids are like flipping coins into the, that huge fountain and you drive your car up and you see that there's a valet staff there. And you get out and you give them your keys and they take it and they drive off and they give you like a little ticket stub number. What are you wearing at this event, by the way? Like, well, like what would you wear to this event? I think what Marco typically wears is kind of nicer suits, nothing flashy with like a white shirt, but like no tie and like nicer Italian leather shoes. He's really not a fan of like having like a flashy watch or any kind of like displays like that, really. He likes to have like a nice, clean look that doesn't like draw attention. He also wears glasses um, and it kind of like, he likes the image. Are they prescription or are they like design? Yeah. Oh, the prescription. He wears glasses. Yeah. They're okay. like, re- yeah, but like they're, um, I don't know. They're kind of like nicer and they make him look like smart, like a, yeah. like he, he looks like he could be like an artist or just like a intellectual. Yeah. And that's like the vibe that he tries to present. Huh. I like that he's wearing glasses. That's just for some reason. I really dig that. Current modern day. Does he wear glasses still? Yeah, he does actually. Oh, oh. Even like I, and I was thinking about that too, because like my idea of him was like somebody that wears glasses. And then I was thinking like, well, I mean, you know, after, yeah, you don't need, you don't need glasses, <laughs> but like, I think that he would still just do it as like a, because that's like how he feels comfortable looking. It's like a you know yeah, it's I mean? a comfortable. It's a it's like a blanket yeah. a kid has. You know what I mean? It's a sense of comfort. Yeah, it it's like about he, he just thinks he he looks more himself with it, so he, yeah. he keeps it. You know? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if in reality if your mustache you have when you get embraced stays. You know what I mean? Like psychological stuff, like your glasses. You know, like to- makes total sense to me. So you eventually walk around to the back and you just see like hundreds of people and it's like life. That's the thing you think about. Like, like it warms your soul. Like it, like you hear, like there's, they have a stage and they have like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm on, I mean, I like some guys singing like they're in like an Italian band playing in the background, da, 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 da. but it's like not like mafia types here, you know, but you see that there's like tons of people here and you even see like the bands will switch out and there'll be like a classic, like fifties cover band. You know what I mean? They'll play there. You see little kids dancing and like there's like a little dance floor set on the gr- grass. You know, you see that there's benches everywhere. You see they have like a bartender. They have like food everywhere. They have waiters walking by. And you just like lose yourself in this crowd of people. You're seeing people like everyone's like, hey, Davada. You know what I mean? Like everyone's like getting along. Like, oh, hey, it's like fucking Marco. Hey, Marco, come here. And you see like your cousins and like different cousins or different people you've met. Drinks are had. You know, you're just having like some scotch or whatever food's had. Time goes by quick. And then slowly, like the the sun starts going down, you know, and like like people are like ah, oh, you know, they're still there. It's like not even acting like it's gonna quit, you know. Some kids are whining like a little bit, you know, like oh, we gotta take them inside or we gotta, you know, some people have to go home because they have kids or whatever. But pe- some most people are still staying there. But then eventually, though, when it gets dark, you start noticing like these nice like lamps, gas lamps are starting to be brought out, you know, like those warmer things sometimes, the gas lamps because it's a nice like spring evening you know and you also see that in the back there's a huge lake there's like tiki torch gas lamps are along the lake and you see people are walking along there even during the day kids were like kind of maybe on the little dock there and we're just kind of like jumping in the lake and the parents were getting it was just full of life like everywhere you look 
And so the night comes and these lights start being the source of illumination as the sun slowly starts going down. And as the sun starts going down, the moon in return, a full moon starts coming up. Bright stars are all up there. And there's a moment where you're holding your drink. I'd say you're maybe slightly buzzed. You're not drunk. You know what I mean? But you've been eating and you're just looking up at these stars and you see like thousands of them. How does it make you feel when you look up at these stars at this moment, knowing you have the sea of people around you and you're looking up at these stars? Totally euphoric. Like for once, I actually belong. Just being around my cousins and just being around the happiness and the family and just even the idea that I somehow am part of this, that I somehow belong to this. I think I'm not such a horrible person. Like I, I can, I can have like a, a better life, I guess. He sees that and he's just like, man, this is just so magical to him. You know, all the smiling people and stuff and, Oh, cousin Marco. And like, he just feels like he's just really around the people he's supposed to be around with. He feels a real sense of family. So as you're standing there, Look at the stars. Your gaze starts going to the horizon almost. And you see a group of people, like five or six people talking. And you see this woman. She's looking right at you. She's wearing like a gray kind of middle skirt. I don't want to say mini skirt, but middle skirt. A little risque. Has like this black blouse on that's short sleeved. That almost is sleeveless. Has the first couple buttons undone. And she looks Mediterranean. She has these big brown eyes and luscious lips and her hair is going kind of like, you know, she has longer hair and you see, she like adjusts her hair behind her ears and you can see her left side. And she just kind of goes like this along her neck, her fingers gently go down her neck while she looks at you. And you see, there's a moment where she realizes that you caught her looking at you and she just kind of smiles at you. Marco's like kind of embarrassed for a second because most of the times he's like ever pursued girls. It was kind of like superficially or something. So he's yeah. just like, Whoa, he, you know, he feels like this weird, kind of like wooziness, you know, like this, like that, like adolescent crush feeling almost. Oh, wow. Like, he's like, whoa, like, cause she just thinks like she's beautiful and he's not like even really sure like who she is. He's just like, you know, he's kind of just like awestruck. And there's a moment while you're looking at her, you're kind of feeling those feelings. And also you feel this tug on your arm and you're like, Marco, Marco. And you look down, you see his older lady. She looks to be about like 70. She's got, has wrinkles gray hair she has it in a bun and she's like wearing like this black dress she has like this cane in her hand you know and she's kind of shaky she's like oh marco marco and she like puts her hand up on your cheek she's like you're michelle's a boy and michelle's boy and you know michelle because that's your mother's name and that's a name you haven't heard in a long time you just heard your mother or you know whenever like so you're michelle's a boy oh my god and she, she just like touches your face and she's like you look like a you look like a, oh my god the curls the curls and she's like trying, like trying to reach your curls on the back of your head. Marco will be kind of off put a little bit horrified kind of because like he just didn't think I thought we don't talk about her basically. It's like what he's thinking, you know, like I, I thought this was something we don't talk about in the family. And so he's just like not really sure how to react. He's frozen. And, you know, she's probably like pinching his cheeks and just like touching his face and stuff. And he's just like stuck. And when you're sitting there looking down, all of a sudden you just hear this crack and you hear, you fucking cunt. And then you look, you're like, what the hell? And you're kind of shook and you see this lady's on the ground and you see she's holding her mouth and blood's coming out of her mouth. And you look and you see your uncle Salvino there 
and he's looking down at her and you see his face is all clenched. He's like, you fucking cunt, I will fucking kill you. I don't care who the fuck you got that kiss from. And you see him and you see her just look at him like in fear. And he looks at you and there's a moment where you're like taken aback because you, you see like his, almost you can see his teeth through his skin and his face seems all contorted. And he looks at you for a second and he comes up close to you. There's an uncomfortable moment where like your noses are almost touching. He's just looking at you, like waiting for you to say something. Got something to say, lad. You got something to say, boy. Uncle, what's wrong? He's like, he's clearly very afraid. There's a moment he looks at you, then he turns around and looks at the lady on the ground and he just kicks her in the stomach. And you just hear like this, and you just see him like storm off. And there's a moment where you're looking down at her and you look up around. And all of a sudden, you realize that some people seem like in shock, but other people seem kind of like oddly like. Mm. So like I'm, I can see that like some people's reaction is like they're like okay with it or like yeah, like they're almost like eh. like 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 you know most people if they saw a dude smack an old lady and kick her while she's down would be like whoa what the fuck and everyone would be reacting. You see a couple of people look shocked. You see most people are kind of like eh. So like, like no yeah does anybody like uh, like go to check if she's like okay or whatever nah, like, she's just laying side. in front of you and she's trying to get up and you actually kind of notice that girl who's looking at you earlier is gone and she's like <laughs> you see her like kind of getting up and blood's just coming out of her mouth and she's shaking so i'm gonna try to help the woman up because yeah. even though i'm like a bad person and an antisocial person it's just for me to just see like an old woman like down on the ground who like needs help it's like not like uh it's like his reaction is just like oh shit you you help that person you know what i mean like i feel like if you were just like walking down the street you know what i mean like it would oh, just yeah. be like your reaction your to reaction. just like try your to humane. jump you know it's your humane reaction and that's like yeah so like and he's maybe even like a little bit surprised oh man i'm i'm helping her even though uncle silvano just did that he's just like as yeah. he's doing it he's worried about the repercussions yeah but he's still just trying to piece together what the fuck just happened and as you are helping this lady up you know someone else grabs her other arm and is helping her up and as you stand up you see this other figure like standing up and you look and you see it's a female not the one you were looking at before matter of fact this female you don't know how to interpret her she has black hair that's kind of cut shorter borderline boyish has some gray in it she has really hazel eyes and her skin seems to radiate the moon at that moment, when you're staring at her two feet away, it's almost like her face is a moon in itself. And you see she's wearing this gray evening gown that's sleeveless, but it goes down to her feet. And you see the old lady who's being helped up look at this figure, and you just see her freeze for a second. And she starts speaking in Italian, but you don't understand Italian because you don't have linguistics. But she just starts speaking, and then you see Arita, and you just hear more and more. And then you just see this lady who helped her up, just kind of like pat her on the shoulder. And she turns around and walks off with her. And there's a moment where your guy's eyes linger. And then she's off with this old lady. And you look around you. And at this moment, you realize this is not the same environment where you're at during the day. What are you doing now as you're standing there by yourself? He's probably going to step away and maybe try to like, I don't know, like get away and have a cigarette or something. He's feeling very shaken up. And he's like, very upset because like everything in life, this one thing that he thought was going to be great just turned completely sour. And he's just like, he feels like everything he tries, like everything he pursued as like a kid 
you know, as like a young person trying to like find themselves was just like a disappointment. He's worried that all of life is just going to be like this kind of disappointment. Like, will I ever be like satisfied with any of the shit? If I, if I became like top of my uncle's company, would that still even be enough? You know what I mean? What's the point? When he just sees this magic family gathering just get ruined by like this very obscene violence, in his eyes, very obscene violence, he's just kind of shaken. He probably is a little bit frustrated as well. So you walk around to the side, probably try to sneak away to have a cigarette or, you know what I mean? Just kind of be on your own. And you walk around the left side of this estate and you walk and you see shadows as you're kind of like going around and you hear grunting. And as you walk around, you look, you see that there is a female that is in the, like an evening kind of gallant dress. And you see from behind her is a man who's having his way sexually with her. And in front of her is the same thing. And there's an odd moment where you stop and you look and you just see the figure who's in front of her as she's all on all fours, like looks at you. And you recognize he's one of your cousins. And you see that the figure behind is just like so lost in, in what he's doing that he doesn't even notice. And you see your cousin at the head is like, what? And you like motions towards her on the ground. I like just turn around and like get out of there. I'm just like, oh, I don't know what I just stumbled onto, but like that was intense. Yeah, that, it was just like, you know, like it's like, um, he d- definitely has that feeling like he walked in on something he shouldn't and he yeah. like looks for a second and he, he just like turns around and he's just like it's kind of fuck? open too which is even weird you know what i mean like it's on the side of the house there like it's not like they were trying to be super discreet about it it was like you had this weird like animal instinct you felt you know what i mean from there they almost like kind of pushed you away as you walk around with the cigarette in your hand you turn and you walk a couple feet and you see that woman that you saw earlier the one with the, the one that you were attracted to and she's like has a cigarette and she's leaning against this brick and you see she's just kind of sitting there looking out and she looks turns and looks as you walk around the corner and you just see the smile come across her face he would want to smile back at her but it's like hard for him like it's just like he he's not used to like showing emotion he's not good at like doing the right thing you're like you know what i mean and like he's never really felt like compelled by somebody so his face just kind of like tightens up a little bit and like maybe like he gets red and he just kind of like stands next to her like smoking but still trying not to like visibly show his interest but he's you know he's feels very like infatuated he got like kind of like butterflies when like this person smiled at him but he's just like trying to keep it collected she looks at you she's a little taller than you you know and she looks down at you a little bit she like from you're to the right of her she's like something's wrong what's bothering you hmm? what's going on here what's your story what just happened you oh you mean it doesn't bug you i've been living in las vegas this shit is the fucking family i mean what else can you say you still haven't accepted it huh what was your name marco right someone told me your name was marco he he turns around to her. I, I imagine he's kind of like leaning on like a railing or something. He's leaning against something, yeah. having a cigarette. And he'll just kind of turn around from like leaning onto something and like facing out. And he'll just turn around and like face her and he'll extend his hand. And just say, Marco, and you are? My name is Ramona. And she like takes her hand and shakes it. You want to go to the lake? She nods. Sure. 
So you guys slowly walk. She kind of even like offers her arm so you can like take her arm, you know, like within yours. He and does. She's, and she's like, so this fucked up family, as you guys like walking down towards the lake, you let it take a toll on you like that? That's why I moved. I'm getting tired of this shit. Are you tired of it? He, he just like, he'll look away kind of frustrated. My uncle gave me a great job in his business. I don't know what you're talking about. Then why do you look so angry? And as you guys are like kind of walking down this pebble trail now through the grass that goes down to like this little pebble walkway that goes around this huge lake, you know, there's not that many people as there were during the day down here. He's like frustrated with her. He's like, you don't know me. What makes you think I'm angry? And he's kind of like upset that like his, um, his mask isn't like working basically, you know, that somebody is able to see through it because it's not what he tries to outwardly display. Yeah. Yeah. He's the director. He likes to, he likes to control all parts of his yeah. scenario. And you guys walk like the, on this path on the left, there's the lake. And on the right, there's like some trees, like a little grove of trees. And she like stops at one of the grove of trees and she turns and looks at you. And she gets like really in your personal space. She's like, am I being bad? Am I, am I not doing what I'm supposed to do? What are you talking about? Well, and he'll get, be getting like closer to her and stuff. Yeah. And she's like, well, you're acting like I'm not supposed to be asking you these questions. Did I break some kind of rule? No, it's look, I was having a great time. I, I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. What if I want to? Well, go ahead then. Yeah. What stopped you? What, what, what made you talk to me? What did you think I was going to do? Do you think I was just going to stand there? He's just like, not sure what to say. Like for once in his life, he feels like he can't really like be in control. Yeah. He's like, yeah. he feels like he's being called out almost, you know? And she gently kind of like starts pushes. to get really uncomfortable. He's just like, she gently pushes you along this tree, like not forcefully, but just kind of like, you know, and you can feel a breast like up on your chest. And she's like, you like to be in control, don't you? And he just like, he just like goes with it and just like grabs her and stuff. <laughs> so he starts like making out with her and everything. Yeah. There. Yeah. And she's, as you're like, guys are like getting at it and, and within these trees, I mean, it hasn't completely turned physical yet. You know what I mean? And there's a moment where like, you know, you feel like it's like at that moment, you know, like, like, like where, it can go to the next level and she's like bites your lip, but not like, 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 like to pierce skin, but she just kind of tugs it. You know what I mean? Out a little bit, like more than like would be like kind of normal. And then she like lets it go. And then she was looking at you like intently. And she's like, what I want to do. I don't want to do it here. There's a lot of rooms up there. And she not, nods and you can see in the distance, the state that you guys walk from. And it's funny. Cause you're looking, you can see like there's different lights. Like there's like hundreds of windows. It almost looks like and you see like there's different lights all throughout it. And yeah, he just follows her just silently. He and you just, guys are, he just yeah. goes along with her. You guys are like this monolith of like fucking like a locomotion. Like you guys are just hand in hand are just cutting through these people. And you don't even know. You're like you don't even know how close she's related to you. You guys are just like moving like this magnetic like fucking thing. And you could just kind of see she's leading the way. And you Yeah, and Marco weirdly doesn't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, he's just like I mean, and he probably like feels like in his gut that's just not right at all. Just something is just still compelling him forward. And at this moment, like also it could just be like this, everything just happened. All this cascading, duh, 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 you're just lost in this wave. And she's, she's like walking along with you and she's going through like people who are like drinking. You, you kind of catch the eyes of a couple of people who are looking and raising their eyebrow, or whatever. But like you start seeing people are like making out kind of a little bit. It's not like an orgy or nothing like that. You know what I mean? But you just see like the family wholesomeness is completely gone now. There's no children around here. You see there's 
pockets of people are just staring. You see a couple stare at you as you walk by. You see Mark, oh, you see uh, Uncle uh, Savano, just kind of catch a glimpse of him, but he looks angry, but not like at you, maybe at you, you don't know, but you don't give a fuck at this moment because you're just like lost in this moment. And you go through these double doors in the back and you go into this like this quick like like foray area and you go up some steps and you just see like old pictures along the wall and you're like walking down this hallway and she opens the door and you go into this room and this room is huge and this is large bed and it has like these this old like maroon and black comforter with like gold embroidery in it you know like it's sewn with gold and you see like the canopy is there and you see like there's this almost like a white silk that hangs around the canopy and you see like the sides of the canopy are open but the back is like the foot of the bed is still hanging down and you guys are start undressing each other and her clothes come off immediately and your clothes are off and she like pushes you on the bed and she straddles you and there's a moment where she, she, you know, she puts herself inside of her. And there's a moment where she is, you guys are having intercourse and you feel like her hands are pressed along your chest and she is thrusting and you are looking up at her and you just see she's lost in the moment. But then you s- slowly start observing things because you're a perceptive person. The first thing you notice is that when you reach up to touch her breasts and you touch her nipples are cold and you don't feel like the heat that you feel is emanating from down where you guys are currently connected. And there's a moment where you're looking and you're kind of like looking at her breast and you're wondering, you see this like a little birthmark that's on her left one. And you look past her shoulder as there's a moment where she kind of just like, just like, it's like in the moment of like writhing, like her head's going down, you know, and you look past her head and there's a moment of shock because you see that there's people along that wall. I jump up and I kind of just like scoot her off of me. And I just kind of try to jump up but her hands clasped down on your shoulders and you found yourself pinned to the bed. You recognize one of the figures there is that lady who helped the old lady up. You see though that they are all wearing these black robes that have white stripes that go down the left side that have like embroidery. They have no hoods. And you see there's a moment where you're like scared, but you feel yourself, you're about to climax and she's moving faster. And she's looking at you now. She has you pinned and she's looking at you eye to eye. And you feel like this moment of release that's about to happen. But the moment right before that very second before you climax, her head goes down to your neck. And the moment that you come, you feel this excruciating pain shoot through your body. Worst pain that you've ever felt. It's not even enjoyable pain that you kind of like. This is beyond the limits that you were able to deal with. And every moment that your member spasms more come into her, the wave of pain just elevates, 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 elevates. And you feel like you're trying to grab, you're in such pain that your teeth bite down on your tongue and you feel a piece of your tongue fall out of your mouth, like the tip of your tongue. You feel blood that's cascading down your chin. Your eyes are kind of rolling back in your head and you feel your body, which is weirdly like still reacting from the, 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 the uncontrollable, mechanical, biological breeding event that is occurring that is your orgasm to the pain that you're you're feeling and you kind of hear your voice mumbling and this blood is spilling out from your bit tongue and eventually though you feel a sense of calmness coming around you feel like you can't feel your face anymore you can't feel your body but you can't feel your tongue or your face and you feel you're staring at the ceiling this this through this white canopy and it seems like from the sides of your vision it's slowly getting darker and darker and darker till finally everything is dark and black and warm. You feel this lightness. You can't see anything around you, but you feel as if you're almost floating 
and you don't know where you are. And eventually you feel as almost if you had a body you were looking up and you feel yourself pull through. That's the only term that can be described what you feel now as if you break through. And when you break through, you see a figure and there's a gray black drop, just all gray, nothing there. And this figure looking down at you and her blonde hair that has that natural curl that you remember from a kid is slowly floating behind her. And you see that her body seems to have a shape, but not have a shape. You can't make out too much, but you see her face. You see this warm face. You see the caring look that she had, the genuine caring look when she's looking down at you. And you see she reaches out to you and you feel almost as if she grabs you, even though you don't feel like you have a body. And you see she almost seems to like help you go in the direction you were going before. And when your consciousness looks in that direction, you see this brightness breaking through the gray. It's almost real bright, but it's like a warm sunshine. It's like when you wake up on a Sunday afternoon and you slept well and you smell food coming from the kitchen. Matter of fact, when your mom would make bacon and you see the sunlight coming through your windows and you'd have wake up with a smile on your face, that's how it feels. And you feel your body going towards that and you feel this pull and you start feeling yourself as overjoyed with this happiness that you haven't felt in, since you were a child. And as the momentum keeps building and keeps building, all of a sudden you feel a stop and you hear this piercing scream of agony. Just like going through your ears and you kind of look down and you see your, your mother is like trying to like still push you. She's like been following you, but she can't. And you just feel this, this something pulling you down and it's pulling you back down into that veal that you broke through. And you see all of a sudden, as you looking down, you see yourself getting pulled down more and you see this darkness and you look up and you see your, the shape of your mother. She's still screaming this blood curdling, inhumane, murderous scream, but she's trying to grasp onto you any way she can. And you feel your hand reach out. And when you feel your hand connect to hers, you look and you see, oh, I have a hand again. But then you realize that the hand is of the five-year-old you. And you see the hand slips through hers as you're pulled down and your eyes snap open. And you're looking up and you see this figure looking down at you. She has blood all down on her chin and on her breasts. And you see that birthmark you saw on her left breast. And all of a sudden you go, <sighs> and you feel this exhale, your final exhale come out of your lungs. This figure gets off of you and she steps on the side of the bed and she looks down at you. And you see those other five figures are still looking. The one in the center, the one lady identified as Rita comes to the side that Ramona was on and she looks down at you and she grabs your hand and helps you up. When you stand up, you look down, you can feel the blood, the dried blood on your chin and you see your semen and the mixture of Ramona's blood is drying on your penis. And then all of a sudden you feel this and all of a sudden you have this urge, you feel your stomach rolling. And you just turn towards the wall and you feel like everything that you had eaten and drank just emerge from your mouth, just blowing out of your mouth. And you feel your body defecate itself and you feel your bowels loosen. And you are again, flash back to when you were five and you couldn't control your bladder and it all evacuates you as you're standing like on your knees, like against this wall, almost like wanting a sense of privacy, you know, like to be alone. And you feel these hands on your shoulder. And it's Rita again. And she like helps guide you up. And she's like, come, you must walk. 
what's going on in your head with all this that this happened here? I think probably at first he would have thought it was some kind of like weird nightmare or something. But then as it becomes like more real, he obviously feels like the humility, like when he reawakens and, you know, throws up and, and defecates and stuff like that. And he just feels like totally exposed, just like naked here, surrounded by his like older family members and like who he doesn't even know. And just like, these two women and stuff and it's just like too much for him to take in right now but he does feel this difference he doesn't feel like the old marco anymore at all it's just something has completely changed and as you're walking down the hall you look behind you and rita has kind of thrown like this blanket around your shoulders and you look and you see ramona still naked following you and you see the four other people following and these robes, as you guys walk down the hallway, you go to where the stairs are at and you look down the stairs and you see that there's people all along the base, like in the foray. And when you look down at them, though, you realize they are not like the people during the day. And you see there's a moment where you catch eyes with Uncle Silvano and you realize at that moment what he is and you realize that he's angry. You realize that whatever you are now, he has been. You don't quite know what it is, but you feel connection. You're led down these steps. And once you go to the bottom of the steps, you walk down another hallway and there's a door. Rita opens this door and there's cement steps that continue to go down. And they're rather steep. And you hear the sound of water dripping on concrete and you can sense dampness. And you see there's a light at the end of this, these steps, but it's rather dark. And then as you go down these steps and get to the bottom, Rita turns to the right and guides you with, by holding your hand. And you go and you see this large, almost like pool but it's old it doesn't look like a pool it looks like almost like an old bathhouse and you see along the walls it's marble but you see these murals they look old and they look very italian venetian and you try to like see what is on there but it almost is like a story and you see these weird caricatures that look like death embodied and it's almost like this it's hard. You can't interpret exactly what it is, but you can tell it tells some sort of story. And there's these steps that go into the water and the water is dark. You can't see the bottom. And you look and you see Rita is going into the water with you. Almost like a follower of Jesus would wear a robe into the water to baptize someone. And as she goes into the water with you, you both go down these steps. You're about both waist high. And Rita looks up and you see Ramona come with this basket. And within the basket are sponges and other utensils for cleaning. And you see gently, Ramona takes each one and she cleans her body off every inch. She washes your hair. She anoints you with oils. And then when she's done, she turns you around from the pool to face back where you came. And you see that while you have been lost in this moment with her, you see all these figures are standing there that were staring. 50, 60 figures that are crammed into the area right before the pool. And they just look like a parade of death that are looking upon you. And there's a moment where Rita will turn your head and she'll look at you. She's like, you are part of the family now, Marco. You're one of us. You are here to serve. Like I am here to serve. Go celebrate. I take her hand and I just hold it. I hold it against my face and then I kiss her hand and I say, I'll never let the family down. I promise. And tears are coming. Er, blood tears? Blood tears are coming out of Marco's eyes. He feels like this is like a first communion, but 
one that actually like means something. Exactly. We'll fast forward through the rest of the night, but pretty much what happens is debauchery. You're fed. You realize the curse that you have. You find out that your uncle was slighted. He basically thought he was bringing you over and you were going to be part of him. But instead, you are now under Rita and he's not happy. But at this moment, you realize there's nothing he can do. You don't serve him. And I feel like for once in my life, I'm just not petrified of Silvano. Exactly. exactly. Because I don't, I mean, and I'm, he's probably not entirely sure what it is, but whatever he had that he was able to just hold over me and just make me terrified. I have a small piece of that too now, and I don't have to live in fear of him, even though, you know, he's of course my uncle, I would never disrespect him, but for sure. For sure. Now we'll say for the next few months, you slowly start learning about your condition. You don't leave that mansion. Eventually though, you are told by your uncle and you kind of notice how he's telling you this now is a lot different than how he talked to you before. But what he does is he tells you that Rita wants you to go to Venice and that you're going to get flown to Venice and that you will spend time with Rita there. And you pretty much know by what he says, it's not a request. It's kind of like an order kind of thing. So you fly to Venice and you notice just exactly the extent that your family has pull, like the jet that you're on, light proof, you know, the quarters that you stay in. You leave the U.S. at night. You arrive there during the day. But when you are awakened, when you wake up, when you snap back into life from death, you open the door and you see that there's already a staff waiting there for you in Venice. You don't pass customs. You don't do any of that. You get into a car and you're driven to a part of Venice that is quiet, but still has like a foot of water that is on the ground. And you're dropped off by the car right before like the water starts happening. And you get out and the driver says, she'll be here. And he drives off and you're left alone. And you find it odd because while you were driving through Venice, you were looking out the window and you're seeing these vendors, vendors trying to hawk wares. You see these old buildings and you just kind of see like life. And then where you're at now, you see like two older buildings and you see like canals where gondolas could go, but you don't see anyone. And there's a moment where you're standing there and slowly you see a ripple in the water in one of the canals, almost like a fish is coming up for air or to feed. Then slowly you see it again closer to you. And then you see a head emerge and you see it's Rita. And you see at that moment and the moon while she's naked, she looks stone-like. There's nothing that it remains humane about her. Even her pubic area seems alien just in the sheer fact that looks like it does not belong. And she walks to about two feet away from you. And she looks at you and she's like, Marco, my Marco, you've been in my sights for a long time. Silvano thought you were his, just like he thought your mother was his. No, come with me. And I'm going to show you the full potential that you have and that our family has. And I will show you the truth of everything. Then you'll be on your own. And one day I will call upon you to serve me and you will come and serve me. And you'll remember everything that I have shown you. I love you, Marco. You are a part of me. And she pulls you in with her into the water. We'll fast forward, but for the next year you are in Venice and you're learning the arts that is necromancy. You're learning the truth about who you are. You're learning the truth about your mother. You find out that your mother was killed by Salvino because she decided to run off with you, not wanting you or her to serve the family. You grow accustomed to your mother's wraith, which now you control. 
you find out that your uncle was really your mother's great grandfather and your great great grandfather. You remember you realize that like, Silvano made your uncle Claudio rape your mother, and that's how you were conceived. And you realize that Salvino tied your mother to him and to this portrait of her and you when you were young by raping her corpse and bringing her the most excruciating pain that she could experience. And as a gift, Rita, during this year, shared this portrait of you and her that's in this little locket that she's tied to and says, it is yours to do with what you wish. How does that make you feel to find out about that, about your mother? Horrified. He doesn't really know how to take that. Just finding out that, yeah, how do you, how do you react to that, really? That's like... Um, well, in a way, it's, it's, yeah, in a way, it strategically kind of puts you on this path of necromancy. You know, does it make sense? Like, she just, like, yeah. rips your reality and is like, let me show you. Now, I'm not saying you're meeting any, like, Giovanni Anna Deleuze. You're not, you're not meeting Augustus Giovanni, but you're definitely, like, in Venice for a year just, like, seeing this fucked up shit, you know, that she's showing you now. But the thing with her is you don't get that she's, like, she's not a demented person. Almost you can relate to her. Now, you, she doesn't show you her true side. You do pick up one thing, though. You pick up uh, somewhere along the way, uh, Silvano, your mother, you are part of her ancestry, like her descendants, but you don't know how far back she goes. And it's kind of like eerie because like the potential of how old she is, is kind of off-putting. She doesn't quite talk. She's not having deep conversations with you, but she introduces you to people. She, she's almost like your guide for this year. After this year is done, you go back to Boston and this time you're given control of Colburn Trust, if you wish. What do you do for the next 20 years in the city of Boston? Which you find out, by the way, that Boston is controlled by your family, the undead side of your family. But there are other types of what they call themselves kindred or canines who reside in the city. What do you do for the next 20 years? Do you stay alone? Do you deal with yourself? Marco probably, for the most part, stays alone. He probably kind of remotely manages the, the business as best as he can. And he just goes deeper down the path just trying to learn more what he can about about the sudario about the world that lies beyond because that is what he feels he was embraced for so if he needs to serve the company or serve the serve the family as a company man he'll do that but he knows it's just uh just to help facilitate his real goal what's your real goal probably the endless night or something Ooh. like that. If, if I knew about it, like just helping achieve the one goal, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So one thing I want to, before we continue on, one thing I want to point out is to write down your retainer's name. You were ordered to give him the kiss to a milliner named Jamie Milliner. It's a female. She is a political consultant and she is your, in a weird way, your protege. You're, you're there to, how the proxy kisses, you're not there to demean her, you know what I mean? But you're there to bring her along. Now, we can discuss when we play the actual story, you know, your interactions are with her. Talking about the endless night, you notice that there was times where Rita would kind of bring it up. That year with Rita was almost like your lifetime with your uncle Salvino, except that she wasn't there to intimidate you, but it wasn't a connection there. It was more to like guide you along the path. Does that make sense? One night you're in your car and you are with Jamie. You're in the back seat. Your driver is driving and her cell phone rings, Jamie's cell phone, and she answers. This has been 20 years since all said and done. 
And she goes, yes, okay. Yes, I'll let him know. Yes, thank you. You hear her close her cell phone and she puts it back in her purse. And there's a second where she's thinking and she looks at you. Marco. Out with it, Jamie. You've been summoned by Rita. She wants you to go to the Twin Cities. Oh, hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs Gameplay and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions so that your media could get the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.